0: Hey y'all, editing Alex here, regarding the episode you're about to hear. I'd, I'd come up with this idea for the podcast during a school project, so this first episode will be a little bit different than the others, since it's being submitted for said project. The rest of the episodes will likely be longer and will include more discussions and special guests, but for now, enjoy this little bonus episode where I read Chapter 1 of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Chapter 1. I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher. Look, I didn't want to be a half-bud. If you're reading this because you think you might be one, my advice is close this book right now. Believe whatever lie your mom or dad told you about your birth and try to lead a normal life. Being a half-bud is dangerous. It's scary. Most of the time it gets you killed in painful, nasty ways. If you're a normal kid reading this because you think it's fiction, great. Read on. I envy you for being able to believe that none of this ever happened. But if you recognize yourself in these pages, if you feel something stirring inside, stop reading immediately. You might be one of us. And once you know that, it's only a matter of time before they sense it too, and they'll come for you. Don't say I didn't warn you. My name is Percy Jackson. I'm 12 years old. Until a few months ago, I was a boarding student at Yancey Academy, a private school for troubled kids in upstate New York. Am I a troubled kid? Yeah, you could say that. I could start at any point in my short, miserable life to prove it, but things really started going bad last May when our 6th grade class took a field trip to Manhattan. 28 mental case kids and two teachers on a yellow school bus heading to the Metropolitan Museum of Art to look at ancient Greek and Roman stuff. I know, it sounds like torture. Most Yancey field trips were. But Mr. Brunner, our Latin teacher, was leading this trip, so I had hopes. Mr. Brunner was this middle-aged guy in a motorized wheelchair. He had thinning hair and a scruffy beard and a frayed tweed jacket, which always smelled like coffee. You wouldn't think he'd be cool, but he told stories and jokes and let us play games in class. He also had this awesome collection of Roman armor and weapons, and so he was the only teacher whose class didn't put me to sleep. I hoped the trip would be okay. At least, I hoped that for once I wouldn't get in trouble. Boy, was I wrong. See, bad things happen to me on field trips. Like at my 5th grade school, when we went to the Saratoga Battlefield. I had this accident with a Revolutionary War cannon. I wasn't aiming for the school bus, but of course I got expelled anyway. And before that, at my 4th grade school, when we took a behind-the-scenes tour of the Marine World Shark Pool, I, short- I sort of hit the wrong lever on the catwalk and our class took an unplanned swim. And time before that, well, you get the idea. This trip, I was determined to be good. All the way into the, the city, I pulled up with Nancy Boboffett. The freckly, red-headed, kleptomaniac girl, hitting my best friend Grover in the back of the head with chunks of peanut butter and ketchup sandwich. Grover was an easy target. He was scrawny. He cried when he got frustrated. He must have been held back several grades because he was the only sixth grader with acne and the starts of a wispy beer in his chin. On top of all that, he was crippled. He had no excusing him from P.E. for the rest of his life because he had some kind of muscular disease in his legs. He walked funny like every step hurt him, but don't let that fool you. You should, you should have seen him run when it was enchilada day in the cafeteria. Anyway, Nancy Boboffin was throwing wads of sandwich that stuck in his curly brown hair, and she knew I couldn't do anything back to her because I was already on probation. Headmaster had threatened me with death by in-school suspension if anything bad, embarrassing, or even mildly entertaining happened on this trip. I'm going to kill her, I mumbled. Grover tried to calm me down. It's okay, I like peanut butter. He dodged another piece of Nancy's lunch. That's it. I started to get up, but Grover pulled me back into my seat. You're already on probation, he reminded me. You know who will get blamed if anything happens. Looking back on it, I wish I'd decked Nancy Boboffit right then and there. In-school suspension would have been nothing compared to the mess I was about to get myself into. Mr. Brunner led the museum tour. He rode up front in his wheelchair, guiding us through the big echoey galleries, past marble statues and glass cases full of really old black and orange pottery. It blew my mind that this stuff had survived for 2,000, 3,000 years. He gathered us around a 13-foot-tall stone column with a big sphinx at the top. He started telling us how-, how it was a grave marker, a stay, for a girl about our age. He told us about the carvings on the sides. I was trying to listen to what he had to say, because it was kind of interesting, but everybody around me was talking. And every time I told them to shut up, the other teacher chaperone, Mrs. Dodds, would give me the evil eye. This podcast is brought to you by the Cabin 9 Army Surplus Store. Cabin 9 has all the weapons you could ever need, and some you would never need. And if it's something you want and they don't have, they'll be happy to craft it for you. Take me, for example. I wanted a long-range weapon to stay true to my archery skills, so Cabin 9 created an extra special bow for me. Certain arrows do different things, and the best part is that it won't hurt any mortals, and it just bounces right off. Come on over to Cabin 9, where all your martial requests will be well met. Mrs. Dodds was this little math teacher from Georgia who always wore a black leather jacket, even though she was 50 years old. She looked mean enough to ride a Harley Davidson right into your locker. She'd come to Yancey halfway through the year, when our last math teacher had a nervous breakdown. For her first day, Mrs. Dodds loved Nancy Boboff and figured I was devil spawn. She would point her crooked finger at me and say, Now, honey, real sweet, and I knew I was going to get after-school detention for a month. One time, after she'd made me erase answers off out of old math workbooks until midnight, I told Grover I didn't think Mrs. Dodds was human. He looked at me real serious and said, You're absolutely right. Mr. Brunner kept talking about Greek funeral art. Finally, Nancy Boboffett snickered something about the naked guy in the stele, and I turned around and said, Will you shut up? came out louder than I meant it to. Whole group laughed. Mr. Brunner stopped his story. Mr. Jackson, he said, Did you have a comment? The face was totally red. I said, No, sir. Mr. Brunner pointed to one of the pictures on the stele. Perhaps you tell us what this picture represents? Looked at the carving and felt a flush of relief, because I actually recognized it. That's Cronus eating his kids, right? Yes, Mr. Brunner said, obviously not satisfied. And he did this because... Well, I racked my brain to remember. Cronus was the king god, and... God? Mr. Brunner asked. Titan, I corrected myself. And he didn't trust his kids, who were the gods. So, um, Cronus ate them, right? But his wife hid baby Zeus and gave Cronus a rock tea instead. And later, when Zeus grew up, he tricked his dad, Cronus, into barfing up his brothers and sisters. Ew And one of the girls behind me. And so there was this big fight between the gods and the titans, I continued. And the gods won. <laughs> Some snickers from the group. Behind me, Nezibov often mumbled to a friend. Like, we're gonna use this in real life. Like, it's going to stay on our job application. to Please explain why Cronus ate his kids. And why, Mr. Jackson? Brunner said. To paraphrase Miss Buffett's excellent question, does this matter in real life? Busted, Governor muttered. Shut up, Nancy hissed, her face even brighter red than her hair. At least Nancy got packed too. Mr Brunner was the only one who ever caught her saying anything wrong. He had rayed our ears. I thought about his question and shrugged. I don't know, sir. I see, Mr. Runner looked disappointed. Well, half credit, Mr. Jackson. Zeus did indeed feed Cronus a mixture of mustard and wine, which made him disgorge his other five children, who, of course, being immortal gods, had been living and growing up completely undigested in the Titan's stomach. The gods defeated their father, sliced him to pieces with his own scythe, and scattered his remains in Tartarus, the darkest part of the underworld. On that happy note, it's time for lunch. Mrs. Dodds, would you lead us back outside? Class drifted off, the girls holding their stomachs, the guys pushing each other around and acting like doofuses. Grover and I were about to follow when Mr. Brunner said, Mr. Jackson, I knew that was coming. I told Grover to keep going. Then I turned towards Mr. Brunner. Sir? Mr. Brunner had this look that he wouldn't let you go. Intense brown eyes that could have been a thousand years old and had seen everything. You must learn the answer to my question, Mr. Brunner told me. About the, t- about the Titans? About real life and how your studies apply to it. Oh. What you learned from me, he said, is vitally important. I expect you to treat it as such. I would accept only the best from you, Percy Jackson. I wanted to get angry. This guy pushed me so hard. I mean, sure, it was kind of cool on tournament days when he dressed up in a suit of Roman armor and shouted, what ho, and challenged us, sword point against chalk to run to the board and name every Greek and Roman person who'd ever lived and their mother and what God they worshipped. Mr. Brunner expected me to be as good as everyone else despite the fact that I have dyslexia and attention deficit disorder and I never made above a C- in my life. No, he didn't expect me to be as good, he expected me to be better, and I just couldn't learn all these names and facts, much less spell them correctly, mumbled something about trying harder, while Mr. Brunner took one long, sad look at the stele as if like he'd been at this girl's funeral. He told me to go outside and eat my lunch. The class gathered on the front steps of the museum, where we could watch the foot traffic along Fifth Avenue. Overhead, a huge storm was reeling, with clouds blacker than I'd ever seen over the city. I figured maybe it was global warming or something, because the weather acro- all across New York State had been weird since Christmas. We had massive snowstorms, flooding, wildfires from lightning strikes. I-, I wouldn't have been surprised if there was a hurricane blowing in. Nobody else seemed to notice. Some of the guys were pelting pigeons with Lunchables crackers. Nancy Boboffitt was trying to pickpocket something from a lady's purse. And of course, Mrs. Dodds wasn't seeing a thing. Grover and I sat on the edge of the fountain, away from the others. We thought that maybe if we did that, everyone wouldn't know we were from that school, the school from loser freaks who couldn't make it elsewhere. Detention? Grover asked. Nah, I said. Not from Brunner. I just wish he would lay off me sometimes. I mean, I'm not a genius. Grover didn't say anything for a while. Then, when I thought he was going to give me some deep philosophical comment to make me feel better, he said, can I have your apple? I didn't have much of an appetite, so I let him take it. I watched a stream of cabs going down Fifth Avenue and thought about my mom's apartment only a little ways uptown from where we sat. I hadn't seen her since Christmas. I wanted so bad to jump in a taxi and head home. She'd hug me and be glad to see me, but she'd be disappointed too. She'd send me right back to Yancey, remind me that I had to try harder, even if this was my sixth school in six years, and that I was probably going to be kicked out again. I wouldn't be able to stand that sad look she'd give me. Mr. Brunner parked his wheelchair at the base of the handicapped ramp. He ate celery while he read a paperback novel. A red umbrella stuck up from the back of his chair, making it look like a motorized cafe table. I was about to unwrap my sandwich when Nancy Boboffitt appeared in front of me with her ugly friends. I guess she'd gotten tired of stealing from the tourists and dumped her half-eaten lunch in Grover's lap. Oops. She grinned at me with her crooked teeth. Her freckles were orange as if somebody had spray-painted her face with liquid Cheetos. I tried to stay cool. The school, the school counselor told me a million times, count to ten, get control of your temper. But I was so mad my mind went blank. A wave roared in my ears. I don't remember touching her, but the next thing I knew, Nancy was sitting on her butt in the fountain, screaming, Percy pushed me! Mrs. Dodds materialized next to us. Some of the kids were whispering, Did you see the water? Like it grabbed her. I didn't know what they were talking about. All I knew was that I was in trouble again. Seems like we'll end it on this cliffhanger. So, if you want to see what happens to Percy after this, why don't you listen to the next episode? Uh, Which will be episode one. Chapter one, part two.